Let's bow our heads for a little word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of God that we can come. Now we ask as we gather around that you'll open your word to us, open your heart to us, and give us what's in it that we might find the very thing we need on this day from your own heart. Bless us, we ask, as we hear your word, as we read it through, open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing in our study in the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 1 and chapter 2 today as we continue our study in the book of Philippians. And one of the things I do at work is to make purchases for the company. I buy supplies and I buy chemicals and I buy parts for vending machines and various other things. And that's my job. And I talk to people over the phone all over the country. People all over the country. And there are people I've never seen face to face, but I've become good friends with them and have known them, some of them, for years. And I talk to them regularly over the phone. And often my conversations with these people don't have much to do with what I have to order. (laughs) Where friendly inquiries are made, I say, how's your day going so far? I ask them, what are you doing this weekend? When I get a lady on the phone, I say, hey, what's for supper tonight? Or how's the family? Most of the people I talk to make their living talking on the phone. And they get a lot of calls from nasty, bad-tempered people. So I try to be pleasant and easy to get along with. And most of the calls I make end with this comment. I'll tell them, don't let some stupid customer spoil your day. All right, and so I have friends who I've never met from Ohio to Florida and Georgia to California, and we have pleasant conversations regularly. But there is one salesman who I deal with named Dave. He's on the top of my list of people I try to avoid. His company sells parts and other things that I use, but I don't buy much from him. It's not that there's anything wrong with what he sells, but rather that he is the most annoying person I have ever talked to on a phone. He has a sales pitch that he launches into as soon as I answer the phone. And for years, I've been listening to this sales pitch, so I kind of have it by heart. And I want to stop and say, hey, let me finish. I know how to do this. I could do what you do. Say, hey, Eric, how are you doing today? I just want to check your list. I know you've got a list. And what's on your list for me today? He says the same thing every time, and he talks really fast. He says, I want to check your list. I got those parts that you use every day. I've got coffee parts, and you know the ones that you use every day. That I'm sure they're on your list. And Eric, I locked your price in for you. And I know you shop for price, so I always lock in your price. I got it all locked in for you. It's right here in my computer. We got real good prices, and I locked in your price. He's the most annoying person I have ever talked to. It's not his product. It's him. And I don't want what he's got, not because of the product, but because of him. I want to say to him, if I buy something, I'm afraid you'll call back. So I don't want to encourage him in any way. 
We do have caller ID, but I think he keeps changing phones because he fools me quite often. And, uh, and I did know he was in Texas for a while. Whenever I saw Texas, I did not pick that phone up. But he ends every conversation with this. I'll call you again in three weeks. Is that okay, Eric? Is that okay if I call you in three weeks? Can I call you in three weeks, Eric? If you need anything, you call me, right? Three weeks? Now, if I know I'm going to be on vacation, I say to him, call me in two weeks. (laughs) It's a salesman, number one job, to be pleasant and easy to get along with. Nobody wants to buy anything from an annoying salesman. Now, we've started a new series about the church from the book of Philippians. We said people every day now are trying to redefine everything around us. They want to redefine society. They want to redefine history. They want to redefine government. And people are also trying to redefine the church. And so to make it clear, the church doesn't need to be redefined. We've started a series from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi about the church, what it's supposed to be. And so far, we've seen these things, that the church operates best in an atmosphere of love. Paul loved the church at Philippi, and they loved him back. And then Paul said the number one mission of the church is to tell the story of Jesus. How he lived, how he died, what he can do for you. Paul called it the gospel, the good news. And Paul said, I've been preaching that wonderful gospel to the soldiers who guard me here in prison. And the message got right into Caesar's house of all places. So today we pick up where we left off as Paul is continuing to explain what the church is and what it's all about. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm reading at verse number 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conversation, he said, become the gospel. Or in other words, when you tell people about Jesus, do it in a way that enhances the message. And Paul says, if you're trying to tell people about Jesus and you are annoying and you are miserable and nasty person, uh, people are just going to say, no thanks. Don't call me again. I don't want any. Whatever it is you got, I don't want it. When I was young, I went to a church with people like that. They were pretty bad tempered. They were hard to get along with. And they should have worn a sign around their neck which said, beware, this dog bites. That would have been the correct thing to do. And they would look at you with disapproving eyes down their nose and say, you need Jesus. When I was young, I said to myself, whatever those people got, I don't want it. And if it wasn't for my mother and my father, I would have rejected it completely. We have a message to tell people. We're trying to sell them something. And if we're annoying and bad-tempered, nobody will want to buy what we're trying to sell. 
So Paul tells us, make your conversation, you're dealing with people, pleasant and inviting. He says, that's what I'm doing here in the prison with the people who guard me, and they're buying it left and right. They're taking it home with them. You see, when we said last week that people in Philippi got news that Paul was in prison, they were worried about it. But Paul in prison got news about the church in Philippi. And he writes a letter because the news that he got wasn't really good news. So he's about to address some of the things he's heard about the church in Philippi and some of them that are bad news. So we begin chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that's an old English way to talk, but he starts gently and carefully, he's not harsh, he's soft and easy with them, and he asks this, do you find comfort in Jesus? He says, oh yes, we do, lots of it. Do you feel Jesus loves you? Yes, very much. Are you feeling a bond of love that ties you together? Well, yes, yes. And let me ask you, is God full of mercy? Oh, he does wonderful things for us every day. So God is good to you? Yes, very much so. In verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that you might be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. So if God is good to you, will you make me happy, he says. Will you make me happy? Sure, we'll tell us what to do. Tell us how we can help. Will you try to get along with each other? Will you stop arguing with each other? See, my friends, the bad news that Paul got sitting in prison about the church at Philippi was that the people in the church at Philippi were having trouble getting along with each other. You say to me, Eric, I thought they loved each other in Philippi. They did. But sometimes people who love each other argue a little, don't they? You better shake your head yes or I'll call you liar, liar, pants on fire. Sometimes people who love each other don't get along. So Paul is going to now define clearly what the problem is. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There's some strife between you, he says. That is, you argue with each other. And the second problem is there's what he calls vain glory. And we separate that word. Vain means something that's useless, has no value, it's useless. And Paul says you have useless glory. Glory is what you think about yourself. Or in other words, you think pretty highly of yourself. You think you're right, other people are wrong, so you argue over it. 
When you're fighting and arguing and being miserable, it doesn't work when you turn to people and say, Jesus loves you. So what's the cure for your bad behavior in Philippi? Instead of thinking you're better than everyone else, he says, switch it around and say, other people are better than I am. And get your eyes off yourself and start watching out for others. If your main concern is, what can I do for others? Then that should put an end to arguing and fighting. Well, Paul... You know, some of us, it's just our nature. We're just sort of prickly sort of people. Yeah, exactly. You can't do the number one job of telling people about Jesus if you're all prickly and hard to get along with. Jesus said, now go, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. So if it's your nature to be prickly and hard to get along with, said Paul, you'll have to change. You'll have to change. Well, Paul, that's not going to be easy. (laughs) No, probably not. Okay, he said, I'll give you a good example to follow. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to explain to you, says Paul, How Jesus thought. How his mind worked. Whenever you can learn something like that, pay good attention. It's very valuable information. Here's how his mind worked. He was God sitting on his royal throne up in heaven. But he didn't say, this is my throne. I've got a right to sit on my throne. I've surrounded myself with glory and power and strength. And I'm going to sit on my throne, which I have a right to do, and rule in royal majesty. He did not say that. No, no. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I see people who really need help. So I'm going to leave my throne. I'm going to leave my place in heaven. And I'm going to go down down and down. I'm going to take a human form. I'm going to go down, down, farther down. How low can I go? When I arrive on earth, it will be in a manger full of hay where babies are never laid. Born in poverty, lowly born like a slave. No privileges, no wealth. He became poor, the Bible said, so we could become rich. 
And like a slave, he did what he was told to do. Now understand it, my friends. He left heaven for others. He became poor for others. He lived like a servant for others. Everything he did was for others. And then it says he died. He died like a common criminal. Executed on a Roman cross. And you might ask me today, so how do you know what was in his mind? How can Paul say, let this mind be in you that was in Jesus? How do you know what was in his mind? Because Jesus explained it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when your heart is just full of something, it's bound to come out your mouth. So how do we know what Jesus was thinking? His heart was full. And when they were driving the nails through his hands and his feet, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed for others at his most agonizing moment. And he said to the thief on the cross next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. He gave the thief on the cross eternal life when he himself was dying. And under the cross stood John and his mother Mary. And he said to John, that's my mother Mary. Take her home with you and be her son. He did that and said that while he was being tortured to death. He thought of others. Everything he did was for others. He died with his heart all full of unselfish love. My friends, you will never quite grasp that until you say this. He left heaven for me. He became poor for me. He lived for me and he suffered for me and he died for me. Never a thought of himself. Never one selfish moment in all his life. He poured out his life on the cross for others. He suffered for me. That's the best example of what it means to think of others more highly than you think of yourself. So, my friends, set it in your mind when you go to church, I'm going to serve others. I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to please other people. I'm not going for my own pleasure. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to give my life for others. And you'll find it hard to argue when you come to church with that attitude. My friends, we want people to hear that story. 
and get it down deep inside their hearts and accept it and believe it. And we never want to hinder that message by being bad-tempered and argumentative. We want people to buy what we're selling. Now you're bound to say to me, Eric, poor Jesus. He was mistreated. He was rejected. He got the short end of the stick. This serving others sounds very unpleasant. And I'm not sure I want that. Don't worry, my friends. Let's just keep reading. Verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus left heaven for others, because Jesus lived for others, because he suffered for others, and because he died for others, God the Father said, my son took the lowest place, and he did it for everyone else, for others. So I will now honor him and give him the highest place. I will lift him up and I will exalt him. I will give him a name higher than every name. I will cause all of heaven and all of earth and all of hell to bow down at his feet. And every tongue that has ever formed words and every voice that has ever spoken will be forced to say, Jesus is king, Jesus is master, and Jesus is Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng, said the hymn writer. We at his feet may fall and join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. My friends, you give your life in the service of others. Rest assured, be completely confident of this. God will see to it that you are handsomely rewarded. My friends, we have a job to do. A story to tell and a gospel to preach. We have a responsibility to live and behave in such a way that enhances the message, that entices people to come, that invites people to believe. Unselfish love is the best sales pitch there is. Jesus did it. And we follow his example. And so today we offer God our unselfish service so that people will be drawn by the wonderful message that Jesus loved you, gave himself, and died for you. May we be worthy to tell that gospel. It's a wonderful story to tell, is it not? Yes, it is. Amen, amen. May God bless you as you serve him with unselfish love. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for leaving the glory of heaven and coming down here among us. And we're sorry 
that it turned out like it did. But we are grateful that you took it and used it, bought us our pardon and saved our souls and gave us home in heaven and eternal life through the things you did down here. We're glad that you were thinking about us before you were ever born and when you came into the manger you thought of the folks that you could save. When you died on the cross, you prayed for others, gave yourself for others. And we are eternally grateful that included us right here in East Shelby. We thank you for that. And we bow down before you and just tell you we want to be like you. We want to do what you did. We want to serve others and be what we ought to be. Bless us, Lord, as we take up this banner and hold it forth. That people will know by the way we behave that we have the right message. They'll listen and accept and believe. Help us, we pray, to be like you. Bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'm going to sing a song on the bottom of your bulletin. together with us have thine own way Lord good examples to tell that wondrous story to those around us. May we live our lives in such a way that people know that you are the mighty God, that you have saved us, that you love us. May we treat others with love and kindness around us. May we have the mind in us which was also in you, that we esteemed others better than we esteem ourselves. We are grateful, Lord, that you have done this and grateful that you died for us on the cross. We ask for your help throughout this coming week to stand for what we believe in. We ask for your help to protect us and be with us in only ways that you can bring us back to this place to worship you once again. We are thankful for every blessing we have standing here in this place and all the things in our lives, we pray 
in your name.